we'll be in Nehemiah in the Old Testament where we have been the last few weeks. We will be in chapter 4 of Nehemiah this morning. And I've entitled this sermon, A Sword and a Trowel, as we will see as we read the text. Question for you is, how well do you know Satan? You might say, whoa, why are we starting with Satan? Um, How well do you know the enemy, Satan and the demons? How well do you know uh, what they do and how they act and how they come against God's people? In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul tells the church, do not be ignorant of Satan's plans and schemes. And so as I read through scripture this week, here are some of the descriptions and titles and what Satan does. Satan is the father of lies. He was a murderer from the beginning. He is the great deceiver and attempter. Satan is the accuser of the brethren or the accuser of God's people. Uh, Satan works to spread division among the body of Christ, the church. Satan, he leads an army of fallen angels, demons, uh, to come against uh, not only opposing God, but his work through his people. Uh, Satan promotes false teaching. He uh, uses fear tactics and intimidation to cause doubt and disbelief. Satan is very cunning. He is crafty. And he will entice you to live the way the world lives, following after culture. Satan is always working to oppose God's purposes, and with that, always against God's work that is done by God's people, his church. Peter warns us and says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring what? Lion. Seeking someone to devour. Satan has, will, and he, he does and he will oppose God's people in every way possible to stop God's people from doing the work that God has given us to do. You can also read in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 that Satan camouflages himself as an angel of light and with that uses deception to lie. Satan has some power, Uh, he is brutal, he is persistent, and he seeks to destroy your soul, but do not forget God is seated on the throne, and he is sovereign, and anything that Satan does, he's allowed to do by the hand of God. You can go and read Job chapter 1 and chapter 2. We must, as we think about the enemy, not take lightly what he does to come against God's people. And at the same time, remember that he has been defeated at the cross by Jesus Christ. And there is one day that Satan will be cast into the lake of fire, into hell for eternity, and he will no longer be coming against the people of God. We're going to read Nehemiah chapter 4 this morning, and as you are turning there, the scriptural truth we see this morning is this, you must pray and remember the Lord who is great and awesome when the enemy opposes God's people doing God's work. Nehemiah chapter 4, here's what we read in God's word. Now when Sinbalat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews, and he said in the presence of his brothers and the, uh, of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? 
Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and said, Yes, what they are building, if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. But when Sinbalat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored in the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread and we are separated on the wall far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So we labored at the work, and half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at that time, let every man and his servant pass that night, the night within Jerusalem, that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I, nor my brothers, nor my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes, each kept his weapon at his right hand. Church, we are blessed to have the Word of God that we can open and read, and we are blessed to have the Holy Spirit dwelling us in us to give us understanding. And so, Father, we pray that you would bless the reading and the preaching of the Word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. As we look at this chapter and the things that happened um, in, in the book of Nehemiah, we are reminded uh, that Nehemiah was a cupbearer of King Artaxerxes, and he was in captivity, and God had laid it upon his heart that the walls of Jerusalem had been torn down, and they needed to be rebuilt. And so for four months, he prayed. He grieved over the city being broken down, and God put a plan upon his heart to go. And not only that, he said a few times to the people, God's good hand is with us. 
Artaxerxes is sending us uh, to go rebuild what he already said not to, and he's sending us all the lumber. He's even sending uh, uh, soldiers with us and a cavalry, and he returns, and he inspects the wall, and he tells the people, of, we're going to do this, and the people all get fired up and say, let us rise up and build And they begin to rebuild this wall. And last week, read to you a whole bunch of names of a whole bunch of people and groups that were gathered around the wall next to each other, side by side, rebuilding the wall uh, that the glory of God would return to that place. And here we come to opposition again, as we already saw it a couple weeks in chapter 2. And in verses 1 through 6, I draw your attention that mockery is used to come against the people. And so the first point we see is that there's a mocking of God's work that is coming against them. The problem is that they are making fun of and they are jesting over or mocking over um, the work that God has given the people to do. In verse 1 it says, Sanballat, he hears of it and he's angry and greatly enraged and he begins to jeer at the Jews. You ever been furious about something before? I mean, just so angry. I mean, you just got to go take a walk. And you're like kicking a stone or you're trying not to kick the cat as you walk out or whatever it may be. But you're just fired up and so angry. I mean, this enemy, they are just so angered. And if you think about it, Sinbalat, the reason why is because the city's in his jurisdiction. He is going to be losing out financially. He's going to be losing out these things that he has control over. And so he is just angered about this. We already saw in chapter 2 that he was angered just hearing that they were coming back and that the king would actually give him letters, Nehemiah letters, to do this. But Symbolic is losing control. And if you see in verse 2 and 3 here, he tells uh, his brothers in the presence of the army of Samaria. So these, these things are getting back to the people where they're building, but he's like, what are these feeble Jews? And I don't know why the lights are going down, but if someone wants to go back and re-fix uh, that there, um, we keep losing lights here this morning. He begins to mock them and says, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? What he's doing is he's coming against their work and saying, basically, what you're doing is not going to actually happen. It's not going to be fulfilled. You're not going to be able to continue on. And Tobiah, it's like, for some reason, I think of junior high and high school kids mocking and making fun of each other. I mean, it can be very painful and at the same time, very immature. You got Tobiah in the background listening to some ballet. He goes, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, if a fox jumps on that, it's going to fall over. I mean, he's trying to add to it. And this is coming to the people of God, not as something that they're like, oh, that's just dumb. But this is actually an attack to think that mockery against God's people is one of Satan's tools. And it's actually very effective. I mean, think about when you have been mocked for your faith in Jesus Christ. It is a tool of the enemy to come against you. When you stand for the gospel of Jesus Christ, when you would dare open your mouth and tell people of the love of Christ and what he's done at the cross and the empty tomb, the mockery comes. The sneering comes. Uh, Those people, those weak ignorant, stupid, foolish Christians. Can you believe that they believe these things written in this book? They're all hypocrites. Look at them because they say they love people or they do this, but yet look at their lives. Hypocrites. Those closed-minded people, 
who are so resistant to change in culture. You say you love others, but really you hate them. And on and on. This is what the world does. The mocking that comes against all who would dare stand for their faith in Jesus Christ and to open their mouth and declare the good news of the gospel of Jesus. So what's the response? Look at what Nehemiah does in verse 4. Nehemiah's response follows the last few chapters. He prays. He, rep- he prays and repeatedly and repeatedly he prays over and over and over. Here he prays and he works. It's this picture of faith uh, and works or faith in action. He prays and he works. They do not stop. How many times have believers stopped doing the work that God has called them to do when the world begins to mock them? We want to go hide. I don't want to go back to that place. They're going to mock me. I'm not going to say another word at work because those co-workers were just saying all these things about me uh, during the break. I'm not going to tell the, the, the students in my class or my teacher because they mocked me. I mean, think about, I can think back to when I was in junior college sitting in a class and a friend of mine dare mention something about Jesus. The professor just went on the attack I mean, then he went on after a paper that my friend had written and just tore it apart in class and mocking my friend that I'd known for years, and he ended up dropping the class. So, I mean, think about the attacks that are very real for standing for the name of Christ. Nehemiah and the people are being attacked, and instead of folding their tents and going home, they prayed and they worked. Look at the prayer in verse 4 and 5. Hear, O God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. Nehemiah saw these people as not just enemies of the Israelites working, just trying to stop a city, but he saw them as enemies of God, that basically is almost blaspheming God, what they are doing when they're coming against the work that God did. So he prays, and some of you are like, I love this prayer. Some of you are like, I've prayed this against my enemies. I'm like, well, let's hold on there for a minute. You're like, it's in the Bible. Have you ever heard of the imprecatory prayers in the book of Psalms? And you're like, oh yeah, David prays. You know, Break their teeth, God. I mean, sometimes we think about how, un, you know, how things are very uh, unjust towards us. And we're like, going through the Bible, oh, King David prayed that? Lord, I pray that now against my enemies. And I just say, caution for a minute. Because, uh, like he even says, don't forgive them. Like, whoa. That's a, that's a heavy thing to pray. He says, you know, Lord, take it out against them. But we must also be reminded of the rest of Scripture. Romans chapter 12 tells us, it says to bless those who persecute you and don't curse them. If you read Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says this, verse 43, you have heard it that it was said, you shall love your who? Neighbor and hate who? Your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That is very difficult to do. When people come against you, to pray that that God would uh, not curse them, to dare pray that God would bless them, to think that God would 
do a work to save your enemy? You're like, no, no, just get rid of them, God. It's like, do we pray that the enemies of God's people would see the gospel and believe in Christ to be saved? That's what we should be praying for. The problem is when we're in the midst of the battle, the focus is on the mocking that's coming, the plotting to kill me is coming. All of these things are coming upon me. Woe is me, Lord. And so take those people out. Now, there is nothing wrong, and we could, again, spend other time where we are to pray that God would put down those who would come against uh, his people, that he would, he would push back the enemy, the work that Satan and the demons are doing. We should pray for those things, but in the same time, take into all of Scripture um, what God has called us to do, to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. Verse 6, Nehemiah says, So we continued to build, and it was built to half its height. So half of the work is done. And when you think about doing half of the work for a big project, that's always the challenging point. It's always the point where it's like, okay, either we continue on or we stop. That's why a bunch of you have projects in your garages that your spouse has told you to finish because you got tired it was a hot day, you got worn out, it's like you got all these things stacked up somewhere, and it's like, okay, so this halfway point is so important for the nation of Israel. The mocking comes, but now look at verses 7 through 9. There's a plot to destroy God's work, a plot to destroy God's work, and so the problem you see in verse 7 and 8, they are surrounded by the enemy, like completely surrounded. If you look at geographically where Jerusalem is at, you have, in the north, you have Sinbalat, in the south, you have the Arabs. In the east, you have the Ammonites. And in the west, you have the Ashdodites. They are surrounded around the city of Jerusalem with 50,000 Israelites there. And they are going to, or at least they're planning to, come against the people and fight them and to kill them and to stop them. Verse 7. Uh, these men here that we just listed heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed and they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem to cause confusion of it. Somehow, Nehemiah and the people are hearing of the mockery. They're also hearing of a plot and a plan for these armies to come against them in a battle to come and to kill them and to stop the work that is going on have you ever felt that you've been surrounded by the enemy that's conspiring to come against you? To think about how the enemy would come against the body of Christ. That today, if you think about Christians around the world, the plots that come against to kill Christians, to stop them from opening a Bible and declaring Jesus Christ crucified, risen again, the enemy is very real. And so you have governments, you have extremist groups who will come against to destroy Christians and the churches. Some of you may remember in 2015 when ISIS took all of those Christians to behead them, to do it where everyone in the world could see, to come against people who stood for the name of Jesus Christ. Around the world, they put pastors in prison. They take churches and they burn them. They beat and rape Believers, so that they would stop meeting, that they would stop gathering for the preaching of the word, they would stop gathering to worship the Lord God Almighty. And despite all the plots of the enemy, the Holy Spirit continues to work in the hearts 
of his people, giving them strength to stand in the midst of whatever persecution. And you have Christians gathered around the world for worship, and they do it in secret, and they continue to spread the gospel of Jesus, not on their own strength, not on their own power, but the power of the Lord God Almighty. And so Satan has plotted, he does plot, and he will plot against you standing for Christ. He will plot against the church standing uh, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 4, Peter reminds us in this, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 14, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. This week, as I was reading through the book of Acts, came upon points where the apostles were being persecuted for the name of Christ. There's one account after they were brought before the people and after they were beaten, they're leaving and they're rejoicing that they've suffered for the name of Christ. Now that's hard to even think about. But I can tell you the only way that they could rejoice is because of the Spirit of God living in them. And therefore, as we face persecution in this world, we must not be surprised, as Peter says, but be ready for that. But as we saw two weeks ago, putting on the armor of God daily and standing with the armor that God has given us with the uh, weapon of the sword of the Spirit to be able to, the Word of God, to fight against, to be able to pick up the shield of faith to extinguish the fiery darts of Satan. God has provided and therefore let us be the people of God that are obedient to do what He's asked us and told us to do. Nehemiah's response here in verses 8 and 9 is not just prayer, but look at verse 9. It says, and we prayed. Corporate prayer. So now you've already been following uh, Nehemiah prayed and Nehemiah prayed and Nehemiah prayed and Nehemiah prayed. This is the fifth time now. And now it says, and we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. Corporate prayer and action. Church, we need to continue to grow as the body of Christ that prays corporately. I know that you pray at home. I know you're praying when you're driving, when you're at work, when you're at school. I know you pray. But we need to grow in corporate prayer, in small groups, in homes, in the large gathering that we would pray uh, and seek the Lord, uh, His will be done. And therefore, let us be a church that grows in this and we prayed, and they set a guard. They took action. Nehemiah was bringing the people to this point that they would not be intimidated by the threats and the plot against them. I was reminded of Psalm chapter 46. It says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Did you see the first part of that in verse 1? God is our what? Refuge and strength. 
I don't know what you're facing today. I don't know what you will face this week, what you will face a year from now. Before the Lord returns, as long as you have life and breath on this earth, I don't know what trouble will, become to, will come to your life. But you must be reminded that in the trouble, in the attacks, in all of those, those moments that seem so hard that you want to stop doing God's work and go home, you must remember God is our refuge and our strength. Amen. He is the one that we set our feet on, that we are built on is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. But let me ask you this. How many times have you or we prayed and then not taken action? Think about that. How many times you've prayed for something but not taken action? Let's say just battling temptation in general. You pray, Lord, protect me from temptation. For example, uh, uh, Lord, protect me tomorrow from temptation, from stealing cash out of the money that I count for my boss every day. And you pray and you go to work. It's different, though, if you pray, Lord, protect me from the temptation uh, to do, take, steal that money because I count that by myself, and then going to work the next day, praying the Lord protect you, and then taking action. You know what? I need you to count the money with me. Or how about those of you students studying for a test? Father, help me not to cheat on my test this week. Great prayer. But you also need to sit down and study. Because if you don't study all week and you wait for the test on Friday, you show up, the temptation is great. You haven't taken action. You prayed and said, Lord, protect me from the temptation. I trust you and all that. And he's like, you were supposed to be obedient to your teacher and study. And so you could make a list of all kinds of things that every one of you and corporately that we face that we pray and ask the Lord to do according to his will. We pray according to scripture. But we see Nehemiah doing that and taking action. There is so much that we are, we are told to pray, to pray constantly, and then to do as well. And so we are encouraged to have faith and good works. Church, does good works save you? No. Jesus saves us, and we are created to do good works. So good works always, always accompanies those who have true faith in Christ. And therefore, we are to be at work we are to do the work of God, and we are to pray, and not just throw up a prayer and say, oh, Lord, we need this, and then just sit back and wait. That's what we don't see here, and we don't see that practiced by believers in the Word of God. I was reading this week um, a guy, uh, Dwight L. Moody, a pastor, and uh, this account that he was on a ship in the Atlantic, so you're in the middle of the Atlantic on a ship, and it catches on fire. Um, he joins a bunch of people and, and crewmen, and they're passing water buckets. And some guy says to Dwight L. Moody or to the group, he's like, let's go and pray. And this is what he said, no, sir, we stand right here and pass the buckets and pray hard all the time. That's the picture of what we should be. That we're doing the work that God has called to do and we're praying hard every single day. When Jesus was tempted in Matthew chapter 4, when he went out into the wilderness, Satan was tempting him to sin. And Jesus every time responded with, it is what? Written. And what was he quoting? Scripture. So here's one way that you take action. You pray, you pray, you pray, and you memorize Scripture. 
you pray and you memorize scripture. If you don't know what actions are you to be taking on a certain thing, you pray and you memorize scripture because we know that the scriptures are brought to us by the Holy Spirit at the moments we so need it when we are weak. And so we must pray and take action. When the attacks are at hand, uh, that is what we must be doing. I was reading in Genesis 37, and reading through in the end of Genesis this week, and in the life of Joseph, some of you enjoy reading about Joseph's life. But when you read, his brothers are really his enemy at the beginning. His brothers come against him, and they plot to kill him. And instead, they end up selling him into slavery. And I was thinking about the plot that they brought against him that was so evil. And then I was reminded of Romans chapter 8, verse 28. It says, and we know for, that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Everyone loves to throw that verse around. Everyone loves to claim it. There's even non-Christians who love to claim this verse. Do you know that in Romans 8, 28, it's written about believers, not general public, but about Christians? And when we look at Joseph's life and you look at these things, when you get to Genesis 50 and his brothers have, uh, they've, they've reconciled to a certain point, uh, their father has died, Joseph's uh, towards the end of his life, and they're like worried because they sold Joseph to slavery and uh, he was in prison and did all these things. They're like, oh, you know what? Dad told us to tell you, don't kill us. And here's what he says in verse 19 of Genesis 50. But Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for what, church? Good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And as I thought about that this week, as I looked at Nehemiah, was reminded that as the enemy plots against the people of God, we have to try to destroy the work that is done, that we must know that God allows and even uses the plots of the enemy to fulfill his will. As James tells us, these trials that we go through are for a time. And they're short, but the purpose is that God would grow his people. And we're like, amen, but then we're like, oh, I don't like that because I don't want to go through the trial. Oh, God, Lord, I, I agree, yes, grow me in my faith, but I don't want you to bring the enemy against me. I don't want you to allow them to do that. Yeah, that was good for Job in chapter 1 and 2, but Lord, don't let me lose everything and have sores from head to toe just because I worship and love you. I mean, that's how we pray at times. I mean, that's just our humanity. Uh, Lord, when my day is, is done, let me just die in my sleep and go to heaven. Amen. All right, probably everyone prays that many times. You know, it's like, Lord, you know, just... And, and the thing is, is that the enemy is real. The mocking and the plots are real. And in the midst of the moments of the attacks, we need to pray and we also need to take action by the power of the Holy Spirit and rest in the fact that God is our refuge and our strength. Amen. Look at these last few verses. The third point is remember the Lord. Remember the Lord in verses 10 through 23. The problem we see in verses 10 through 12 is there is now a spirit of discouragement and even defeatism that is affecting the people of God doing their work. In verse 10 and 11, in Judah it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. But our, by ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. I mean, you can hear their desperation here. 
And our enemy said they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. This discouragement is beginning to happen among the people as they work. People working side by side. Hey, did you hear what Senballat said? Oh, man, do you see all these rocks here? There's no way we could finish this work. I mean, they've already lost sight that half of the wall is rebuilt. They've already lost sight in the work that they've already done. They've already lost sight that Nehemiah has told them God's good hand is with us in this, and he's told us to do this. Have you been discouraged this week? Have you been discouraged this year? Are you discouraged this morning? And you are only reminded of all of your trouble in your life. You're only reminded of all the things that are coming against you. You're only reminded that, oh, I've got to go see that person tomorrow. And I've got to do this this week. And I'm not going to be able to pay that bill. And I'm not going to be able to do these things that I wanted to do. That's a tactic of the enemy to discourage the church. So that if the church is discouraged... People bicker and they fight and they argue and there's not unity. And the work that God has set out for the church to do gets disrupted. And people don't open their mouth and declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. And people are not building relationships to disciple others. This is a tactic of Satan. And that's what he wants to happen in this local gathering of God's people. And so we must pay attention to these things individually and corporately to know that this is the problem I mean, to add on that is verse 12. This happens to churches all around the world. Look at verse 12. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said 10 times, you must return to us. Now, what's going on here? You go back and read chapter 3, and it talks about the groups that came from other villages outside of Jerusalem. Their families are showing up now. Their families and friends have heard the enemy's coming, and now they're saying, stop building, come home. They're going to come kill you. I mean, 10 times, it's like they're coming from all around to pressure the people of God. Don't do that because the world will not be happy with you. Don't stand for the truth of Jesus Christ because culture does not want you to do that. Don't keep doing that work because we need to do something else. And there's fear that's brought. All these people coming from these villages are fearful. We're going to lose our husbands. We're going to lose our sons. We're going to lose our family members because the people outside said they're going to come kill them. Ten times. And this is the attack that happens today in the local gathering of God's people around the globe. Our culture, the world, wants us to stop doing God's work and bend to culture and do what the rest of the world does. We must be remember, we must remember, church. The word of God says that we're holy. We are set apart. Christ dwells in us, his spirit in us, and therefore we are not to live and act like the world and to be set apart for God, holy and blameless. That is God's people. Well, what is their response in verses 13 through 23? They set up a defense and they remember the Lord. They remember the Lord. Look at verse 13. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, places that they hadn't completed, it says, in open places I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. When you read the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah, God has given him a lot of wisdom. God has built him up to be a great leader among the people. God puts upon him these things that he didn't just, just think up. 
very good, important things to do when the enemy is coming. And so the plot, the mockery, they're going to come and kill us. And so he sets up a great defense behind the lowest or weakest parts of the walls. He not only sets them there with their weapons, their, their armor, but he has them with their clans, their families. So, I mean, when someone's coming after your family, generally, you are quite fierce at defending them. Uh, when someone's mocking family members, when someone's coming there, if someone's going to try to come and kill your family, uh, you're generally going to be standing to defend them. I mean, this is what he does with all the people that are working uh, around the wall. And then he encourages them with this in verse 14. And I looked around and arose and said to the nobles and the officials and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Some of you may think of some of your favorite movies where someone is rallying a whole troop to fight against the enemy. This is like the greatest speech ever. And it's the word of God to them. It's like, remember the Lord who is great and awesome. What else could you say? I mean, think about this. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And he says, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Church, when you are discouraged, when you are being mocked, when you're fearful of the enemy that is coming, you must remember that Jesus Christ is seated on the throne. You must remember he's ruling and reigning now. Jesus Christ has always ruled and reigned from all of eternity. There's never been a point that he stopped ruling and stopped reigning. We're not waiting for a return so that he can rule and reign. Jesus rules and reigns now. Amen. Therefore, we stand on that truth today. It helps us in the midst of the trouble, and we are able to stand because of the Lord working in us. And so we remember the Lord who is great and awesome. We remember the Lord who is so great and so awesome that he would save a person like us who are sinners, who sin greatly against him, who are not holy, who are not righteous, who have set out to sin against him and to do everything against God. As scripture says, born as enemies of God. And he is so great and awesome that he had a plan before time to save us from our sins. That he is so great and awesome that he told his son to go and Jesus being obedient to the Father comes and is born in the manger adding humanity to his divinity and living a life and never sinning so that he could be the perfect spotless lamb who takes away the sins of the world. And Jesus is so great and he's so awesome that at the cross he died in our place for our sins. And there as he hung on the cross that he physically went through torture. But the worst thing was that he took the wrath of God the Father meant for you. And he did that because he loves you. And he's poured out his grace upon you. And there at the cross he shed his blood so that you could be forgiven. And we rejoice in that. And Jesus is so great and he's so awesome that he's not in the tomb. Amen? Amen? On the third day, he's risen from death to life. He's ascended to heaven. He's ruling and reigning and he will return, church. He says, I am coming soon. And therefore, in the midst of the trouble, in the midst of the attacks, in the midst of the most discouraging moment of your life spiritually, 
you must remember the Lord who is great and awesome. If you read through the rest of the chapter, they set up an alarm. They set up all these things. They're watchful. They carry things, but they have a trowel or a tool in one hand, and they've got a sword in the other, and it thwarts the enemy's plans, and they give up at least for a little while. And as you think of Nehemiah this week, as you read through Nehemiah, as you look back at chapter 4, you must remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And so for those of you who are struggling this morning, you need to remember the Lord who is great and awesome. When you face temptation this week, you need to remember the Lord who is great and awesome. When you begin to doubt in your faith, when the attacks come, you need to remember the Lord who is great and awesome. When you are so stressed out and you are filled with worry and you're filled with anxiety, you need to remember the Lord who is great and awesome. When you are so lonely and you are so depressed and you are so grieved over something, you need to remember the Lord who is great and awesome. When the world presses you this week to go along with all of culture, you need to remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And when you are struggling with patience and to persevere in the Lord, you must remember the Lord who is great and awesome. The last passage I'll read to you before we take bread and cup together is about these three guys in the book of Daniel. And Nebuchadnezzar was their enemy. And he built this huge idol. And he says, everyone must bow down and worship it. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they feared the Lord God Almighty. And it says this in Daniel chapter 3. As the enemy was coming to take their life, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, We have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. You see, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego remembered all that God did when he showed his mighty hand to bring the nation of Israel out of captivity in Egypt, through the Red Sea, and on and on. And today, you and I must remember when we're mocked and attacked and plotted against Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, who is great and awesome, who has conquered death, who has conquered sin, and he is coming back again for us. Let us pray. Father, we pray as Nehemiah and the people prayed. We ask right now that you would even put upon our hearts what to pray for. Father, some of us are discouraged. Some of us are struck down. Some of us are depressed. Some of us are worrying and fearful this morning. Some of us are just, we don't know what tomorrow holds. And we are in a moment where we need your help and your strength and your guidance and we need your comfort and we need to be reminded today that you are great and awesome and that you love us. Jesus, thank you for loving us so greatly. Thank you for dying in our place for us. Thank you for bearing the weight of our sin Thank you for taking the wrath of God the Father upon yourselves meant for us. We thank you that we have you as Lord and Savior. Father, I pray that whatever you have 
set before us this week as the body of Christ, that we would be faithful to stand for your truth in the midst of the opposition that comes. Father, for any who have heard the gospel preached to them this morning, I pray that right now that they would cry out to you for salvation. They would ask that you would forgive them of their sins, that they would believe that Jesus Christ has died for them and risen again. Father, as we take bread and cup together this morning, may you bless the unity of the body of Christ. Would you uh, bring uh, just a reminder of the cross and the empty tomb and the joy that we have. And we ask these things in Jesus' name.